And so I wonder if you could just close your eyes where you are. Just close your eyes. I want you to imagine, as we encounter Jesus this morning through his word, that you are just somewhere in a hot, dusty place. Maybe the heat is taking the moisture out of your mouth. Maybe you're stood in the streets. Maybe you're just leaning out of a window trying to get a gasp of some fresh air that seems so vacant. The place that you are is called Jericho. I want you to imagine being part of this story as Mary reads this story to us right now. I want you just to imagine you being maybe one of the characters in that. Maybe you're one of the key characters. Maybe you're stood off at a distance observing. Just imagine yourself in this story as Mary reads it to us now. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus visits Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So, running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Amen. You can open your eyes. I want to ask you this morning, as we reflect on that passage, how successful are you? Look around, compare yourself to others, as we always do. How successful are you? Maybe you're like those optimists, optimists amongst you and it's like, I'm a solid seven. Doing all right, doing good, life's good. Maybe in those kind of reflective moments, you're like all of us and you humbly downmark yourself. Five, maybe four. Maybe you look around and think, I'm, a, I'm like a minus 10 compared to other people. My life, just look at it, it's a mess. How successful are you? By many standards, the man that we meet in Luke 19 is successful. He has made it in life. He has got all the stuff that the world would define as successful. He is, he's got the job, he's got the income, he's got the, the, the influence. He's a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. The tax collectors were those that were Jewish people working for Rome. And so the Jewish people despised them because they were working for the enemy. And they also would take money from their fellow citizens and usually take as much as they wanted. They'd take the, the taxes that Rome were imposing on them, but then they'd also take the salary for themselves to fund their lavish lifestyle. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That meant he was at the top of the pile, and he would siphon off from the tax collectors who were siphoning off from the people. So Zacchaeus was a thief of thieves. He was known. He had the income. Oh, he'd been unpopular. He'd be very unpopular. But that was worth it. 
Because in a society where 90% of people either live on or below the poverty line, he got to be the elite 10% that lived life. And so it was worth it. Get to live a life that no one else gets to live. Seems like the only thing that's going against Zacchaeus is his height. Bless him, it goes against a few of us. Because Zacchaeus was a very little man and a very little man was he. For those of you that remember Sunday school with the flannel graph and you want to break into a song, feel free, you can break into the song. I suppose one of the downsides of this message and this story is that it's so familiar to those of us that grow up in church because we hear the story, we've sung the songs, that we miss the power of the encounter, of what happens in this moment. Because this very little man has heard that there's a rabbi coming to town And this rabbi isn't just any normal teacher. He's the one who, when people encounter him, his life is transformed. Their life is shaped and and transformed by the man that is Jesus because he is God. He is the savior of the world. And he's coming into Jericho. He's coming into Zacchaeus' hometown. And so Zacchaeus longs for an encounter along with a big crowd. He can't see Jesus, so he climbs up a sycamore fig tree. It's interesting that the sycamore fig tree was the very tree that the poor would have got their food from. The very people that Zacchaeus was stealing from, he climbs up the tree that they would have used as their food supply. Because the the sycamore fig tree grows in really bad soil and it produces really meager fruit, about the size of a marble, but it was free food. And so Zacchaeus climbs this tree from the very people that he steals the food that they eat off this tree from. How many of us spend our life climbing trees? How many of us spend our lives just trying to get higher, trying to be taller, get to the top, seeking to make it in the world? We can mask it as ministry, dare I even strike those people? We can say that we're doing God's will. We can say we're doing the best we can, but we're trying to climb to the top, competing, comparing, consuming. Because if I can just get that, if I can just be that, if I can just do this, then life will be better. And we strive. But we hear of those people, don't we, that make it to the pinnacle of life. Maybe they win the lottery and they get all the money they could ever need. Or they get that job that they've longed for and yet there's still an aching inside of them because that which is horizontal was never meant to satisfy which we can only get from God. But we climb the tree. We do it on our own to try and prove something. Zacchaeus has the meager fruit of wealth. He's got the meager fruit of influence. But they haven't delivered. His soul is longing for something more, and so he climbs this tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. He climbed the tree all on his own effort. And how does Jesus respond to this effort? How does Jesus respond to it? Verse 5 says, When Jesus came to this place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. The only place in the scriptures you will hear Jesus say the word hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. Yet he says to Zacchaeus, hurry down. Hurry down from trying to climb up there on your own effort, trying to prove to me that you're somebody, trying to prove to the people around you that you've done something worthy. Climb down, hurry down. Hurry down that ladder of your ability towards significant and success. Hurry and come down because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. I love it. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And in doing so, he says to Zacchaeus and he says to us, get down off the tree you're climbing. Get down off trying to prove something 
let me in because you need to know there is one who has climbed a tree that you could never climb. The tree is a cross on a hill called Golgotha that you could never, ever, ever have climbed, but I'm going to climb it and I have climbed it, so you don't need to climb. Hurry down. And instead of trying to prove and strive and achieve, let me come in. Let me in. Let me in. It's an invitation to Zacchaeus. It's an invitation to us that changes everything. When we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. Zacchaeus accepts Jesus' invitation. I think in the story we now jump. I, I, in my mind, it jumps now from where Zacchaeus climbs down the tree and they, they go to Zacchaeus' home. We see that people are muttering as he leaves with Zacchaeus. And then they find themselves in Zacchaeus' home. And look what happens. We see such a shift in Zacchaeus' life. I think it's verse 8. It says, But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. What an amazing moment. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And I say, in this culture, to be invited into somebody's home was hugely significant. It, it, was, it was to gather around a table. If you went into somebody's home, you didn't just stroll into their home. If you went into somebody's home, you were welcomed. They would potentially wash your feet. They would anoint you with oil. They would always give you food. If anyone's ever been to cultures other than ours, food is always available when you go in as a guest. Just generosity to give you food and, and want you to feel welcomed. Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' home and he would have been welcomed like one of his own family. That's why people complain and mutter when Jesus goes with him. Because to go to Zacchaeus' home is to say, I'm your family. I'm with you. You're one of mine. I'm one of yours. Jesus was quite happy to be associated with sinners and to eat with sinners. Scholars call it table fellowship. This table unites people, unites people with God and one with another. In, in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus eating with sinners so much. Luke 5, Jesus eats with sinners at the home of Levi. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of a Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000 families. Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Mary and Martha. Luke 14, Jesus urges people to, eat with, um, to share their home and eat with the poor rather than their friends. Luke 19, here we see Jesus is at the home of Zacchaeus. Jesus was born in a feeding trough. When he died, he rose again and ate with people after he'd walked on the road to Emmaus. And then he has a barbecue with the people on a beach. Jesus liked to eat. It's said of Jesus in Luke's gospel, he was either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. That's a man I could follow. See what's significant is, at the end of this passage in verse 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This phrase, the Son of Man, is one that's used a lot in the gospels of Jesus. I haven't got time to unpack it, we've done that in previous talks, um, but it's an Old Testament passage that's talking about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and, and, and it's Jesus and so it's Jesus' favorite way of describing himself in the gospel is the son of man. And he's giving an identity, saying, that's me, by the way, Jesus, the son of man. And then after that identity always comes a description. The son of man, and here in verse 10 he says, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, me, came to seek and save the lost. There's the description. If you go back to Luke 7, 34, Jesus uses that same phrase. And he says, the son of man. But he says, came eating and drinking. If the Son of Man coming to seek and save the lost is the mission of God, then I wonder whether the Son of Man coming and eating and drinking is the method of God. 
In Luke's gospel, we see a God who comes and meets the people where they're at around the ordinary things like a table. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. See, unlike most teachers of Jesus' day, what Jesus did was he didn't just inform people about the kingdom of God. He didn't say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Let me, let you, let me in on it and tell you what it's like. No, he let them experience it. In Luke 22, he says the kingdom of God is like a table that people can come and eat and drink. Let me not just tell you what it's like. Let me let you encounter it. Come and have food. Come and experience the kingdom of God. I wonder what it looks like for us to bring an experience of the kingdom of God to those people around us. Not just to inform them of God, Jesus, his rule and reign, that we know it's theologically and intellectually, but actually tangibly have an encounter and experience of God's kingdom right where they are. The least, the last, the lost, encountering. Jesus did it by practicing hospitality. Leading people to encounter him through eating together. We make evangelism so complicated, don't we? Like we panic. Got to go and we want to be evangelists. Oh my words, how do I tell people about Jesus? Just like, do you get in a cold sweat when someone reminds us we're all meant to be evangelists? I mean, we've got Mark here with us this morning. He is an evangelist. So I'm like, just let Mark do it because he's much better than me. But it's not, it's not, yes, some people have a special anointing and a calling to do that task, but it's the, it's the role of all of us. And we can panic when we hear the word, I've got to be an evangelist. But Jesus' method was to invite people for a meal. Oh, I feel like I could do that. I feel like I could be part of that. What does it look like to start becoming like Jesus? Maybe it starts like having a meal and inviting some people. See, what we've been doing in our gospel communities, for those that are part of it, we've spent a season, gospel communities, where we meet together and we're meeting in homes and we're orientating our life around mission. We're baby steps into it. And we're saying, what does it look like for this to become more than just a service, but actually we're a community, that we let the gospel start to shape how we live. And so we've been creating space where you can just get to know each other initially. But I wonder... Maybe in this season, if you've been going and committing to that, and you're like, I'm not sure what it's all about, but maybe you've started to strike up some kind of uh, companionship with somebody else in your gospel community. You just feel warmed more to them than to somebody else. What would it look like if individuals within our gospel communities or, or families sort of linked up with another family and started saying, do you know what? We're going to have a meal once a month. And we're going to invite you along because we get on with you really, really well. So will you come over to our house and have a meal? But this isn't just going to be a little Christian huggle, huddle. This is going to be mission. So we're going to invite our non-Christian neighbors who don't even know that we go to church. We're going to invite them for food. And we're just going to start to see what God does. As we start to do the method of Jesus of just saying, just come for food. Start to see what happens. And not be really weird with it. Not turn up the volume on the stereo to make sure they know we're, we're singing Shine, Jesus, Shine. Or holding the Bible open. Just, boom, there's the Bible open. That'll get them talking. Not being weird, being welcoming. And we start to see what God does as we start to be hospitable. Hospitality. Do you know what the word hospitality is made up of? Two, two Greek words. Philio, meaning brotherly love. And xenoph, means the foreigner, the refugee, the one who is far away. It's where we get the word xenophobia from. Fear of those from other nations, other cultures. Hospitality is the opposite of xenophobia where we welcome those that are far off. It's where we start to say, my life is open to you. 
We're going to seek not to entertain. Entertain is when we throw a party with people that are either socially equal to us or higher than us to, to give us some kind of social standing. This is hospitality. And you might say, I can't cook, John. That's fine. I haven't got the space, John. That's fine. I think Jesus gives us permission to invite ourselves into other people's lives. What does he do with Zacchaeus? He says, I'm coming to your house. Not you're coming to my house. Mate, I'm coming to your house. He says, those of us that follow Jesus, we get the permission to say, I'm coming to your house. Let's have a cup of tea. I'm going to bring my friend as well. Let's just start to show the love of Jesus, not just informationally, but transformationally as people encounter and experience it. We're going to invite you. Gospel communities. We're not, one thing I'm going to tell you with gospel communities, we are not going to lay a big long path that says, take this step, then this step, that's the mission, there we go. We're going to invite you into some stuff. Your choice. As a church, it's your choice. What could it look like if we start to invite alongside somebody else people into our homes, people that are lonely, people that are fearful? In this moment, Zacchaeus accepts Jesus' invitation. And it says that salvation came to his home. It's amazing, isn't it? Zacchaeus spends time with Jesus and it transforms his life. But it requires sacrifice. Salvation requires sacrifice. Yes, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But it requires some sacrifice from us. Jesus was not just a friend of sinners, a friend to sinners, he was a friend of sinners. He wasn't just kind to those that were far off. He considered them family. To the point where those in influence started to mutter. Maybe those that we want to be associated with start to distance themselves. And he sat around a table that, with people that were different. Maybe it looks like serving those people that we disagree with. That's why you'll have seen on our mail out, we're starting to host, we want to start hosting meals again for those that are in our community. Not to just feed the homeless, but to sit with people that are different, to host them. See what God can do through that. And maybe salvation might just come. I don't know if this is prophetic or not. Maybe it's just pathetic, but you can ignore it if it's pathetic and maybe tune in if it's prophetic. But I wonder if we're in a time where salvation might just start to come in people's homes more than it does in traditional places of worship like this. Who knows? God's doing some different things in this season. For Zacchaeus, salvation comes to his home. It's like new life comes into his home. It's like a big breath in. You know, when a baby's born, 10 seconds after it's born, it breathes. Its lungs are filled with oxygen and it starts to breathe. First breath is the breath in. It's like salvation, new life. We breathe in. You don't breathe out, do you? Got nothing in there. That's not the first breath a baby takes, it's the breathing in. Salvation is like a big breath in, but we don't just hold the breath in when we're born, do we? None of us would be here if all we do is breathe in. Naturally, what comes afterwards is a breathing out. See, salvation isn't the finish line for those that give their life to Jesus. Coming down the tree isn't where it stops for Zacchaeus. Even having Jesus for tea in his home isn't where it stops. We don't just stop with the breathing in of salvation. We also have to breathe out sanctification. That's a really long word that I usually try and avoid long theological words because it makes some people feel really small. It makes other people feel they're really big because they understand the word. But I couldn't help it because they both begin with S. So it's salvation and sanctification. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. And that's what we see in the life of Zacchaeus. 
He encounters Jesus. He is with Jesus. He breathes in salvation, but he breathes out becoming like Jesus. Dallas Willard says there are too many vampire Christians in the world. They just want Jesus for his blood. Secure me a place in heaven, Jesus. Get me saved. Make sure that's safe. But as for the here and now, I'll kind of do what I want to do. I'll have it my way, my wants, my needs. We even come to Jesus for that. We treat Jesus like rocket boosters on a rocket. Ever seen a rocket go in and take off? What happens is the rocket's there and it's got boosters attached to the side. And the boosters propel the rocket. And they propel the rocket into an orbit that it could never get into by itself. What happens when it gets into that orbit that it could never get into by itself? It drops the boosters. Thank you. Let you go now. Church, we can't treat Jesus like rocket boosters. Getting us into an orbit that we could never have got into. Secure that place in heaven for me. But as for the here and now, I'll drop the boosters. Zacchaeus breathes in salvation, but his life is transformed. Instead of expecting the world around him to meet his needs, he starts to meet the needs of the world around him. Verse 8. Look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Such a beautiful contrast with the rich young ruler that, that Ian spoke of a few weeks ago. It's almost like it was planned. It wasn't. But with the rich young ruler, we see he, he, he had possessions. Not just that, his possessions had him. But with Zacchaeus, what we see is just a generosity, a breathing out, a formation of becoming like Jesus He's received the generous love of God and the only natural response when we receive that is that we give it, not just with words, but with tangible expressions of God's love. Do the maths. I'll give away half of what I've had. That's half gone and I'll pay back four times as much of what I've taken, 400%. I don't think the amount is the focus in this story. I think it's beside the point because we read elsewhere in scripture that the amount is small and it's such a big act of generosity. Zacchaeus' generosity is not shown in the size of the gift or the wealth of the giver, but in the readiness he has to give what he's got to God, even at risk to himself. Zacchaeus can see how useless the climbing has been. He's found the pearl of great price, hasn't he? And he's willing to spend everything on it, willing to give it all up for that. Church, if you, if you don't remember anything from this message, remember this sentence. Jesus is not a life improvement plan. Jesus is a give up your life plan. Surrender your life, your wants, your way, your plan. Lay it down. He might ask you to pick it back up again because it's his way, but we have to surrender it all. It's not gain what you can from him. It's give up your life in order to gain it. Give up everything and start truly breathing. We see it with Zacchaeus. He sees that his own life is turned in on itself. It is a dead end. He counters Jesus and he's brought into a story and a mission and a purpose that is bigger than himself. Prior to Jesus, Zacchaeus encountering Jesus, he lived for himself. It's radical individualism. Social commentators say it's like the hallmark of our generation. Radical individualism. I will do what I want for myself when I want it. Sadly, it's what a lot of people say about the church. I'll go to what I want. If I get what I need and there, I have what I want, fantastic. If I don't seem to get anything from it, I'm going to doubt that it's God's will. Probably won't go. Probably won't be part of it. I won't be part of that community. It doesn't give me what I need, what I want. But if I get something, then great, I'll be part of it. 
You know, I, I know that preaching this kind of message is not going to grow a church. It's not, because it's not what people want to hear. But we're not climbing the tree of successful church anymore. We're not climbing a tree of us striving and proving to see success or whatever it is. We're breathing in the presence of God. Because everything else is a fail imitation. Breathing in the presence of God as we're gathered. So important that we gather. Family gathers. We will gather. But family's also scattered. And so we're seeking what does it, what does it mean for us to truly breathe in God's presence when we're scattered? And what does it look like to breathe out being like Jesus? Living for his mission in our workplaces, our families, in our streets. Church, I'm ending with this. Matthew 28, it'll be a passage that's known to many. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples. Not get your own discipleship sorted. No. Start raising other people up with whatever you've got. Start raising other people up. Make disciples. And this is baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's the mission of Jesus to his church. Go. Teaching them to obey if you want to be obedient to Jesus, it means we've got to go. For some, that will mean other nations. Praise God for those people that go to other nations. For others, it means going across the fence at the bottom of our garden. For others, this one might be a bit close to the mark, it means crossing the street to the neighbors that we look down on that we wish had never moved in. It means crossing borders. It means going. See, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, I don't think he was talking in metaphors. I think he actually meant love your neighbor. Zacchaeus is saved, and he starts to look like Jesus. And where does he go? To his neighbors, to the people around him. Their life is transformed because of his life being transformed. And he goes. To those directly outside of his door, those that he's dismissed, those that he's stolen from. Do you know, as I was writing this, I started to confess to God, I've stolen from my neighbors. I've stolen the transformation that you're doing in and through me by me not being, a being loving to my neighbors. I've stolen the transformation you're doing in me from them. There are 130,000 people that live in this region. Can you imagine? In our gospel communities, you just start to say, Do you know what, I've warmed with that person. I'm going to invite them around for dinner. I'm going to invite my neighbors down the road and invite them for dinner. Can you imagine if we had 130 groups of people that started doing that? One for every thousand people in our region. Can you imagine? If just in this room, we intentionally said, I'm going to look across the room, I'm going to invite them for dinner, I'm going to invite my neighbors for dinner. Just the number of people that have never and will never cross the threshold of a church building that start being impacted with a tangible expression of God's kingdom that is like a feast that everybody's welcome to. Can you imagine? Dare I imagine? Because you see, when we've been with Jesus, we start to become like Jesus. Bam, will you start to, will you, we're going to take communion in a few minutes. We're going to finish very, very shortly. But one final thought. I'm not preaching great messages recently because I'm just doing thoughts. Just stuff that God's doing in me. Because he's doing quite a bit. 
But can you imagine if Zacchaeus came and knocked on your door? Just imagine that moment. You paid your taxes, and Zacchaeus says, you've not paid enough. You paid 300 quid, I want another 300 quid. You're like, I'm sorry, what? Who do you think you are? Can I take your name and badge number, please? I'm going to report you. He says, yep, of course, my name is Zacchaeus. And you start laughing. Do you know why you start laughing? Because Zacchaeus' name means pure. Zacchaeus' name means innocent. Like the polar opposite of what he is, is his name. There is no way Zacchaeus in and of himself, no matter what striving, no matter what he does, there is no way Zacchaeus in and of himself could ever live up to his name. But having been with Jesus, he starts to become who he was created to be. Because of being with Jesus, the result is we become like Jesus. Breathing out means we have to breathe in. Breathing in means we have to breathe out. As we spend time with Jesus, we're changed to shape to become like him. Do you know, church, the greatest gift you can give the people around you to grow in Christ-likeness. That's the greatest gift you can give the world. Look what happens to those around Zacchaeus as he becomes more like Jesus. He's transformed and he starts to live up to his name and his friends, his neighbors, his families, they're tangibly impacted by the gospel. Our friends do not need us on a good day. Our friends do not need us with all the answers. They need Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what they need. They need a me who's been with Jesus, breathing in. And the natural response is that I breathe out. Being with Jesus means we become like Jesus. And as a result, we will do what Jesus did. We will live with radical generosity. We will live with a love that we cannot conjure up on our own. Because the fruit will start to be displayed by how we live. I wonder what it would look like if we started to gauge the success of this church. Not on bums on seats, property, and finances. But I wonder if we started to gauge the success of this church on our love. Our love for God, our love for each other, and our love for the lost. Our love for God, our love for each other, our love for our neighbor. Our love for God, our love for each other, our love for our enemy. I don't know how you start to gauge a church by those kind of successes, but they're the conversations that we as an eldership are having. What does it start to look like when we measure a church based on that? When we start to become what we call ourselves, we start to live up to our name. I want to ask you again the question I asked you at the start. How successful are you? If the markers of success aren't position, people, possessions, but actually the markers of success are how loving are you towards God? Are you growing in love for each other? Are you more loving towards the other people in this room, the people in your gospel community than you were a few months ago? How are you showing that? Are you more loving towards your enemy, towards your neighbor? Zacchaeus had all the markers of success, but he laid them down to encounter Jesus and everything shifts Oh, may that increasingly happen to us at OCC. Don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love grow cold. I just wonder if you could just...